Welcome to the Mindfuckery podcast, which is featured in Feedspot's top 10 of emotional abuse podcasts. I'm your host, Elizabeth. In here, we explore areas that others fear to tread. We talk about the mindfuck that was your life. And we talk honestly about what happened because beautiful soul, these honest conversations are key to creating the life you were born to live. I wrote my first book, Finding Lily, sat on a beach in Greece as my marriage was crumbling around me. My second book, The A to Z of Emotional Abuse, followed as I discovered a new language, words and phrases that I had no idea existed, but began to realize had been my reality. And my third book, Divorce Matters, has been written to support you through this process. It's an important stage of the healing. You can get the closure you need, heal the emotional wounds, and because your divorce matters are important as well, getting the information that you've been told to not ask for. And you can start to create the life you deserve to live. I'm the founder of the Divorce Sanctuary and Wound Talking. I've been a woundologist for over 20 years, working with past life wounds, clearing ancestral trauma, and working with this life wounding. And I'm on a mission to help educate as many people as I can on the effects of trauma on our lives and our children's lives and healing the wounds of our mothers and fathers. It stops here, it stops now, and it stops with us. So welcome along for the journey of a lifetime. Hello and welcome to episode 19 of the second series. This week I want to talk about whether you should stay or whether you should go and the implications around that or this is what I'm going to attempt to I haven't got any notes I'm just going to see where the words flow this has come up a few times uh, over the last week or so various different people in various different situations usually with the same character not knowing what to do an abusive relationship emotionally abusive they can see the manipulation they're confused as to what to do and what to do for the best. Should you stay or should you go? If you are in that position and you're able to make that choice and you can see what's going on, I would say go, but it isn't that easy. And in fact, I was in a local group on Facebook and I can't remember, I was looking for something and I saw a post from someone saying did anyone know what happened to this woman who posted the other day and she was talking about an abusive relationship it was anonymous post that was up and people were suggesting that she goes to a woman's refuge which is quite local to where we live and that I've actually volunteer with and reach out to them and somebody else was saying oh this should be reported and it's not that easy it's not easy at all if you're in that abusive relationship to go and approach someone and say this needs investigating in the UK is law coercive control is now a law it has been since December 2015 but it's so hard to prove Uh, The county that I live in apparently are really, really um, hot on this type of behaviour and have got a protocol in place for pursuing it. But that isn't everywhere and that is only in the UK. So if you're outside of the UK, it might not be recognised in your country, in the area that you live. Coercive control is described as an act or a pattern of assault, which is 
carried out through threats, humiliation and intimidation. And some of the examples are isolating someone from their friends and family or making them feel guilty when they do spend time with them, depriving them of their basic needs such as food, monitoring their time, monitoring them via spyware or communication tools, taking control over their everyday life. It might be where they can go, who they can see, what they can do, even what they can wear and when they can sleep, depriving them of access to support services, perhaps the doctors or medical services, putting them down, saying things like they're worthless, humiliating and degrading a person, dehumanising them, controlling their finances, making threats and intimidating. The hardest part is the fear fear of wondering how you'll survive on your own, what's going to happen when you've been isolated from your friends and your family, you've been disconnected and you might have done it in ways that those relationships cannot be mended. It might be that you're deprived from your basic needs like food or petrol. It might be that you've only just got enough money each week or month for the very, very basics. I remember scraping around for pennies, monitoring your time, monitoring your online communication. I remember realising that my conversations or when I was on social media and I was commenting on people's posts and I just happened to walk past a laptop and it had all of the things that I was doing. So it, um, in this section, I can't remember how they how you do it now, but there's a way of seeing who's commenting on people's posts and, and whether you're liking them and things like that. And I remember thinking, why are you, why are you on this woman's page? And it was a coach that I'd used and I was congratulating her because she was announcing her pregnancy. And I was being followed around by the comments that I was making and the posts that I was liking. But it can go deeper, that it can be hacking into and monitoring. And you might even recognise that and think, oh my gosh, and sometimes, you know, you can say, am I the narcissist? Because you might recognise some of that behaviour in a position or forced into a position where perhaps triangulation and manipulation tools have made you feel jealous or something doesn't feel quite right. And you then go looking, trying to work out because what you're being told is that you've got trust issues or there's something wrong with you or it's your imagination. And yet there is something going on behind your back and you're being gaslit and being told that there isn't something going on. So gaslighting is two steps, two stages. First of all, it's the denial of what's going on. It's that never happened. I never said that. You're imagining that that is what was said or I wasn't there. I wasn't in the room. I wasn't in that place that you, you've got that photo of me. And then the second step is backing it up with a statement that turns around and says, you always do this, or this is your issue playing out. You've got trust issues. You, can, you can't trust me. And then when you come out of the relationship, this is my experience, I suddenly realised the reason I had trust issues weren't anything to do with other relationships. It was because I'd caught my ex cheating. I'd caught them 
in other relationships. So the trust was actually dislodged. It was broken early on in the relationship. And then the begging, I want to change for you. I want to do this. You, you know, we mean so much to each other. We've got such a thing, good thing going on. We work so well together. And overlooking and eventually the boundaries are destroyed. The red flags are now brown because they've been trodden in the mud. So that is gaslighting, a denial of somebody's reality. And then not only denying that something happened, changing the narrative so that it's actually not only are you wrong in your thinking and this is why you're wrong and flipping the whole thing around. So as I said, over the last week or so, I've seen various different stories about people in relationships wanting to get out, knowing that something is wrong and paralysed through fear, not being able to know because of the mind fuck that happens in these relationships where your reality is distorted, as said in the gaslighting, you might have been triangulated and you're being manipulated in that way. A third person, whether they're real or not, whether they're an imaginary person, is created to make you feel jealous, to fight for the abuser, to make them look like they're popular and in demand. And that's the purpose of triangulation, is to create jealousy and manipulate and manufacture feelings. I'm going to go, let's go right the way back though, because it's so hard when you're in that situation with coercive control, you might not have the finances to move on, there's a fear of how you will survive, it might be that 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 message has been drip fed to you, that you aren't going to survive on your own, you're never going to be on your own, you might have been told by the abusive party that they're going to keep the children, they're going to fight you for the children. So there's all these other emotions going on. There's this mind fuck that happened where you are told this information, where the gaslighting, you're experiencing uh, cognitive dissonance, you've got conflicting thought processes, you've got conflicting information going on. So you have maybe experienced something like an affair that's taken place and they get better at covering up what they're doing. Not Now, I just point out, not everybody who has an affair is a narcissist. There's a, a unique blend and there's also a spectrum. And I use the term emotional abuse because I can't diagnose someone. I can't tell you whether somebody's a narcissist. We are all on that spectrum. We're all on every spectrum. We might be lower down. They might be higher up. They might be in the 60s and 70s and we're in the 4 and 5% gradient. We might be slightly higher. If you've been brought up in a narcissistic environment, if that was, and this is what I'm moving on to, if that was your reality growing up, you had one or two uh, parents that were higher up on that narcissistic scale, then it's likely that you've picked up fleas, narcissistic fleas. So we're going to go back to the very beginning. And if you've got children, and I want to remind you that you were once a child, during the first seven to eight years of life, and yes, I say seven to eight years, majority of people say seven. When I was doing research around this area, when I was finishing up my spiritual life coaching back in 2011, I think it was, or 2010, 
I was doing a lot of research towards the end about childhood wounding, about our belief work, and uh, that was the area that I wanted to go into with my uh, spiritual life coaching qualifications. And everyone was saying, up to the age of seven, this, you know, we are, we're living in a theta state. It's a, a hypnotic brainwave state. As a child, we live there permanently. That is our fixed state. So we take on everything as a belief. You believe that your parents are superheroes, that they can fix and mend anything. And if you've been a parent or even maybe an aunt or uncle and you've been around children, nieces and nephews, they, you know, give you something and you think, how am I going to sort that out? You know, there might have been situations that something's completely broken and there's absolutely no way that you can put that back together. But children don't live, they live in a magical world where they think that the adults around them are there protecting them. And that is amazing if their parents are or the support around them is protecting them what if it isn't if that support network is a negative network if it's if they're watching and experiencing abuse in the household we are all balls of energy and we vibrate and for some that might be a difficult concept to understand or understand but we literally pick up on other people's emotions now if you're in a hypnotic state think about it what are you pick you're picking up on everything that's going on this these are the words that aren't being said as well as the words that are being said if you are in a situation or in a relationship and you have children i ask you what you're teaching your children and then you can go back and say what was i taught the environment that i lived in what was that as i was doing a lot of research and I was working with a lot of clients. I originally got into working with people that had been through emotionally abusive relationships because it was something that I'd experienced and I was working on healing for myself. And then I was teaching people, most of them were coming through Reiki and most of them were coming as one-to-one -one students. I just went through this Oh, it must have been about a year and a half to two years where everybody that I taught experienced on some level emotional abuse. And it was coming out during the training sessions. People were opening up about what happened to them in relationships. I ended up doing a lot of wound work and um, getting into working and healing the wounds around emotional abuse because it goes so much deeper than the relationship that you're in at the moment. The things that I started to realise were that to be in an emotionally abusive relationship, you had to have experienced something growing up. And these, I picked, I, I say seven to eight through my own experience, I don't think I was, I changed and was out of that hypnotic theta state at seven years old. I don't think children wake up on their seventh birthday. I don't think it happens. I think every child is different, which means that some uh, some children might be six and three quarters and they start to come out of that state. Other children go on a lot longer. It could be a, a, a way of protecting themselves from what's going on in the environment that they are in. I believe this is how the empath is born because the empath is such a sensitive child that they learn to read a room 
They learn to pick up on the change of atmosphere for their own safety. And they are also able to get other people out of situations, out of rooms, out of scenarios, because they're able to pick up on the change in the air, in the energy. It might be the tone of somebody's voice. But these honed skills happen, I believe, in those first seven to eight years. As I said, a lot of, a lot of research at the time was saying seven. It wasn't my belief. And it was purely on a gut uh, intuition that says this goes deeper. This doesn't happen at seven. You don't wake up. This goes on for some children a lot longer. And for some, it might be they live in that, um, in that theta state for a lot longer than um, eight years old because, as I said, it could be safer. So what I'm asking you to do, if it's not too painful and not too triggering, is to sit down with a piece of paper and write out your story because it is hard to leave a relationship. It is hard um, when you come out of a relationship with so much. There's so much going on and there's so much information to process, but it goes deeper. How did you, why are you staying in a relationship? How did you stay so long in a relationship? Because on some level, and this might not be right for you, it might be that you can't hear it at the moment, I remember going through it. I remember listening to a a YouTube video where it says uh, they were saying, uh, talking about codependency. And I was absolutely adamant. There was no way that I was a codependent in that relationship. I'm not a codependent person. And then over a period of time, I started to realise, actually, I did have a codependency role and I did play that role. But at the time, I couldn't hear that. I rejected it fully. So I know that some information might go in at some level and others might get just rejected straight away. If you've got children, I ask you, what are you teaching your children? And it's not a criticism and it's not a judgment. It's an observation purely based on the research and inner standing that I've done and I've made some awful mistakes um, with my children keeping them in relationships fostering relationships and and then introducing them to other relationships that weren't healthy I really wish I knew then what I know now I remember reaching out to someone perhaps I wanted that person say no that isn't healthy no he, he isn't healthy um, this friend had met him we'd had dinner and uh, there was things going on that just didn't add up there were things that happened over the week you know at certain times that he'd disappear or, or go really quiet um, and I wasn't unconvinced I was the only person he was dating and we've been seeing each other quite a few months at this point. And I reached out to my friend and she just couldn't hear me or couldn't reply or couldn't talk to me about it. And she actually, she sort of blanked me around it. I don't know, maybe she had other things going on at the time. But it was as if I needed someone to turn around and say, no, you're not crazy. That doesn't sound right. When I met him, I got this weird vibe. I don't know. Maybe she's been put in that situation before and it didn't work out well for her. I haven't got a clue. But there was someone that I was trying to see if I could get um, an idea back from. And I've spoken about parasites before because 
these people, these master manipulators really do remind me of parasites, the way they operate. And I've spoken about the toxoplasma parasite before. It infects, it gets into a mouse and it infects it and it alters their behavior so that they become fearless enough to actually seek out a cat and be eaten by it. And it appears that the parasite hijacks the immune system and it gets it to produce a chemical. And according to new scientists, a discovery um, has suggested that the brain and the immune system might have evolved using a similar process to control behavior, including electrical and chemical signals. So the toxoplasma, I think it's Gondi is how you say it. It can only reproduce in the cat's gut. So it uses the mice. They get very brave. It alters their brain chemistry. They then go and seek out the cat who kills and eats them. The parasite then gets back into the cat where it reproduces. So it's like a, a, a life cycle. Your brain chemistry has been changed or altered. So the abuser is your parasite. And they've done this through gaslighting, through uh, breaking down your trust. They've done it through triangulation, other manipulation tools. They have perhaps repeatedly put you down, telling you that you're worthless. They might have humiliated you. They might have created shame and guilt within you. Scenarios that bring up, you know, making you feel guilty for going out with your friends or families depriving you of money. Financial coercive control is huge and it is actually only comes up a very tiny bit in the description of coercive control. But it's one of the easiest ways to control people. So should you stay or should you go? This to me, it, on every level, I would say go, but don't rush out the door. I would advise everyone to create a plan and if you can do that without telling one single person that's probably the best way to do it maybe reach out to a women's refuge and they do work with men and see what support they give what support's available whether they can help you create an escape route uh, put together a plan to leave, to build finances, maybe put money somewhere, maybe have a bank of clothes, start collecting your paperwork that you might need, passports, birth certificates, even if it's copies to start with, because those things get locked down, those things get hidden. Your car keys, your car, that actually happened to me in one relationship where my car keys were taken away from me, the phone was ripped off the wall, uh, my car was driven away so that I couldn't access it and um, I couldn't leave. So creating a plan, an exit route, it's like um, I always remember doing some fire safety when my children were little, we went to a fire station, 
with I think I can't remember whether it was the rainbows or the brownies and um, they took us around and they told us how to create an exit plan so you look at you know if the if a fire happened and you were upstairs what would your exit route be if it, if certain parts of the building are blocked off you can st you can take that and you can turn that into what's my exit route I would urge you, if you were in that place questioning whether you should leave or whether you should stay, I'd, and you've got children particularly involved, I would ask you, what are you teaching your children? Because you are in a relationship that is manipulative and controlling. And this person that's controlling you is controlling your life, every element of your life. That is not living. That's far from living. But what are you teaching your children? You're teaching your children that it's okay to be treated in that way. One of the biggest things I heard when I came out and I was starting to do my healing was somebody very close to me said, I can't believe you didn't see that as an abusive relationship. And it was the biggest wake up call for me to go, I didn't see it as abusive because I'd experienced that before. So... You are the only person that can answer whether you should stay or go. Fear holds us and traps us. The fear of not knowing how to live on our own without this person. But ask yourself and use this technique. I share it quite a lot. Listen to the voices in your head. Listen to the way the sentences are constructed. Listen to the words that are being used. And as you start to deconstruct all of this, you'll start to realise these beliefs are what the beliefs that you've been given by other people. And you can start to ask yourself if they're true. Is it true that I, um, whatever the statement is, is it true that I'm bad with money? Is it true that I've got trust issues? That was, there were so many different things at different times that release me from the hell that I was living in and then start to look at the people that are telling you these things because if you're in a relationship with someone who continuously lies and manipulates could it be that what they're telling you is a lie and you're believing it to be true I hope this has been helpful if it's triggered you in any way please reach out and you can send me an email if you want to discuss it further again you can reach out and um, just drop me a line and I'll reply as soon as I can. And as always, I'm sending you loads and loads of love until next time.